Hi, this is Scott Wilkinson, host of Home Theater Geeks. In episode 58, I chat with Jerry Mahabub about his amazing Astound Sound 3D audio processing. So stay tuned. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Home Theater Geeks is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Home Theater Geeks with Scott Wilkinson, recorded March 21st, 2011, episode 58, Sound All Around. Hey there, Scott Wilkinson here with UltimateAVMag.com and HomeTheater.com. Today's guest geek is Jerry Mahabub, founder and CEO of, a, of Gen Audio and inventor of Astound Sound, a 3D audio processing algorithm that I've actually heard and is quite astounding. Hey, Jerry, welcome to the show. How you doing, Scott? Good to see you again. Yes, good to see you. Uh, Jerry and I have uh, had several um, encounters at um, CES and also in his studio, which we're going to be talking about later. Uh, but first, I want to let everyone know that those who are tuned into the live broadcast, the live video stream at live.twit.tv or logged into the chat room at irc.twit.tv can post questions for Jerry, and I'll pass on as many as I can. So, Jerry, I'm fascinated by how you got your start, uh, which was as a brain researcher, as a teenager. Tell us about that. Well, it was... Uh... A long time ago, and I started attending RPI in Troy, New York at a very young age, uh, the age of 13. And then by the time I was 16, I started doing R&D uh, in a laboratory called Intermagnetics General Corporation, which was uh, a superconductivity laboratory making magnetic resonance imaging coils, these huge mm. superconducting coils that you know, went anywhere from five Tesla to 20 Tesla in field strength. Oh, my God. And, and now, was, uh, just, just for people's reference, uh, as I recall, most MRI machines are like in the 1.5 to 3 Tesla range. Is that correct? Nowadays, that is correct, yes. Uh, for the purpose of R&D and to keep, uh, back in the day, uh, a very homogeneous field and not have a lot of what we call anisotropy in the magnetic field, then uh, we'd use a stronger field uh, wow. for the purpose of imaging. But nowadays, yes, uh, three Tesla seems to be the, the standard for what we used to call nuclear magnetic resonance, but everyone got scared of the word nuclear, now called <laughs> magnetic resonance imaging. I gotcha. Okay. And so, uh, actually, uh, one, one to three, three to five or 20 Tesla, that's actually a really strong magnetic field. Do you know what the Earth's magnetic field is? I, I can't recall what the, what the strength of the Earth's magnetic field is on the surface. I used to when I was studying physics in, at RPI, but not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, RPI is uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, right? Yes, that's correct. That was, okay. uh, like I said, a long time ago. However, I started getting into uh, imaging the brain and essentially... Uh, what I noticed was uh, certain uh, areas of the brain would light up in response to uh, spatial auditory stimuli. Mm -hmm. and that formulated the basis for the entire Astound Sound technology uh, as we have today that's, uh, right. that Gen Audio is offering to the world. Now, uh, we, from a moment ago, just for those who are watching the video, we saw a photo of you in, uh, I think it was 19, it says 1992, but I think you corrected that. It's actually 19... 89 or 91 or something? 
Uh, yeah, it's, that, that photo was taken in uh, 1989. I was 16 years old, just about to turn 17. And uh, as you saw the image of the brain in the background there, that was actually at the laboratory. Uh, in, in the background that you can't see in that photo is a giant 10 Tesla superconducting coil <laughs> that we cryogenically cool to 70 Kelvin. And at night uh, is usually when I would go in and do this uh, brain research, uh, so to speak, and uh, it was a lot of fun because I was handed the keys to a lab at the age of 16, and one of the things they told me was, don't stick your head in the magnet for prolonged periods of time. Well, of course, <laughs> at the age of 16, when someone told you not to do something, uh, you did it. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, that was the... Uh, yeah, it, 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 a weird roundabout sort of way. That's how the Astound Sound technology was born. But I, I should admit, it wasn't just functional magnetic resonance imaging. You had to couple the image data with electrical data from EEG and MEG data in order to make this happen. And that's how we get time-dependent uh, data from EEG and MEG. So uh, the image data was definitely important, but you couldn't derive the way the brain actually processes audio information without having uh, the electrical and magnetic data as well. Mm. Just FYI, uh, Nicholas in the chat room says he's reading six, 30 to 60 micro Teslas on the Earth. So yes. uh, when we're talking about three Teslas or five or ten Teslas, we're talking about millions of times more. Well, and remember, one Tesla, if I remember my uh, 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 conversion correctly, is the equivalent of 2,000 Gauss. Right, which is huge, just absolutely so, huge. Yeah, 10 Tesla, of course, being 20,000 Gauss. I mean, it could pull a car across a parking lot if it wanted to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay, so your brain imaging studies led you to look at how the brain perceives sound. Yes. So tell us right. something about what you learned in, in that process. Oh, oh yes. Uh, Spatial auditory stimuli uh, is, is what we utilize to determine this. So essentially, uh, the way you determine this is by looking at the auditory cortex and slicing it very thinly and determining how the brain reacts to particular uh, sounds in space, whether it's an azimuth or an elevation. And, uh, you know, this was a very complicated thing to do back in the day. Today, I'm sure it would be just as complicated. In fact, it's probably more complicated because it's very hard to get access to a 10 Tesla magnet these days. <laughs> yes, right. absolutely. Back in the day, it was a little different. It's kind of like, you know, there's a old uh, story I tell people from way back in the day. Of course, I wasn't born yet, but I was told that uh, I think it was at uh, one of the national laboratories that Dr. Feynman worked at. This is just before the atomic bomb was invented, and apparently they had a a piece of plutonium on display that people could go up and touch. Oh, my God. Time, yes, uh, at the time, they didn't realize that, uh, you know, plutonium was radioactive and can do bad things. <laughs> so yeah, well, okay. uh, so we, learn, we learn something new every day, right? Yes, yes, there's a, there's a running joke amongst uh, my friends and employees that that's why I have no hairs because I stuck my head in the magnet too many times. <laughs> Yeah, well, in, that picture, in that picture, you did have hair. It's true. So maybe that did have something to do with it. That is proof that I had hair indeed. Now, now the, the interesting thing, though, about the, about the research was that a lot of people have approached it from a binaural dummy head uh, type of psychoacoustic model, which, it, you know, that works to an extent. But realistically, the reason why we hear and perceive sound sources in space is because of our brain. Our brain is 
truly what lets us determine where a sound source is coming from, uh, unless we're 100% deaf in both ears and our brain doesn't process much at all. Mm. Uh, however, the cochlea of the ear, which sits deep in the, in the inner, it kind of spirals around. Yeah. Uh, that is uh, mapped to the auditory cortex. It's almost kind of like a burned imprint of the cochlea. Now, we can't stick needles into the ear or invasive measurement uh, apparatus into the ear to determine how the cochlea breaks down frequencies. We can measure it at the brain, though. So this is where uh, the research really made a lot of sense, whereas people have tried to model the magnitude response of the way uh, we localize sounds in space using binaural dummy heads. You know, I've seen all kinds of sophisticated dummy head models uh, from a lot of different places. And uh, there's always a problem with them. There are phase issues that were created by them, uh, you know, noise floor issues. It's just that it really worked very well, in my opinion, other than the fact that it did create a spatial audio experience. At but least if you were listening on headphones. Yes, on headphones, that's right. On speakers, it really falls apart. But not only that, it can also be a bit of a nauseating experience because of the phase associated with that. Our technology doesn't uh, use phase heavily, although they have to have phase because phase is the equivalent of time delay. And when you have a audio sound source that's propagating toward the head, it'll strike one ear before the other ear, and that's mm -hmm. what we refer to as time delay in time space or phase in frequency space, right? Right, exactly right. So, so we have to measure that somehow. The key is to minimize phase. In fact, we call them minimum phase filters. And this is the set of digital audio filters. In fact, the most accurate set, 7,337 digital audio filters just on the unit sphere alone. And then 100 layers of distance cue to determine how far you want to push a sound source away from you or bring it in closer to you. So it's really a combination of two different... Uh, software processes that enable a sound sound to work. The first is the elevation and azimuth computation that's done via the localization cue filters. And then the second is a room simulation algorithm uh, that we use to determine distance cue processing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Uh, because certainly the room uh, that has a lot to do with ultimately how you perceive the directionality of a particular sound source. Yes, yes, that's right. Absolutely. Right. So that, and then we determine that based on reflections, and uh, we can look at different types of uh, ways to model room simulation. Uh, you know, the best way to do it uh, is to use a 3D room simulation model, not a 2D, especially with what we do. And the combination of both, it can be quite intensive on processing, but we've made some enormous breakthroughs in the software. And this is what has taken us so long. People don't realize the amount of time it takes to, you know, build a new technology, but then put it into a state where the rest of the world can use it. It's very complicated, and it takes a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of, uh, you know, what I call sweat and tears. Yes. So essentially uh, what we've done the original filter set, which is represented as a set of finite impulse response filters, was uh, reduced from over a gigabyte down to, you know, right around three megabytes. Now it's even less than that. With wow. Some very heavy optimizations that have been done to the back-end DSP core. And right. that took, you know, several years to do. And thanks to uh, my shareholders in Gen Audio, we were actually able to get that done. And now we're really getting ready to come out of the gate strong in multiple vertical markets, uh, you know, in 
plant this technology in as many places as it can go, ranging from consumer electronics to video games to professional audio mixing for theatrical film title releases, new albums, you name it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But before we do, I want to take another moment to look at a couple of images for those of you who are watching the video, um, uh, uh, illustrating the uh, uh, expansion and elevation aspects of Astound Sound. And maybe you can talk a little bit about those and how you are able to simulate them specifically. Uh, here Certainly. is the elevation one. And this one yes. is of, of, of particular interest to me because... Uh, we have a lot of talk these days about height speakers, right? Dolby ProLogic 2Z, uh, DSX uh, from Odyssey. Uh, having actual height speakers above the main front right and left. And what you're, I think, saying is that a sound sound can do that without putting physical speakers up there. Yes, that's exactly correct. Uh, it's primarily used... Uh, you know, for two-channel audio output, but when integrated into a surround sound mix, we call it implementation of sound surround, and that's uh, sort of what we're pushing, uh, you know, theatrically for, uh, you know, new 3D film title release up and coming. We can talk about that later. Mm -hmm. uh, but elevation is one of the hardest things uh, to get in particular because, uh, you know, surround sound exists on a plane. Uh, you know, the, the standard surround sound mix, we mix uh, on a 2D plane, and everyone calls it 3D audio, but in all reality, it's, it's not. It's 2D. I've always said the same thing. I've always said exactly the same thing. A lot of people yes. call it 3D audio. I don't agree. It's not 3D. It's 2D. It's in a plane around the listening position in 5.1 right. or 7.1 or whatever, and only with the addition of these height speakers do you start getting into the 3D um, space uh, That's right. And again, you're, you're doing it without the addition of extra speakers. And I wonder how you're able to do that. That's, uh, that, that's the whole uh, part of the brain research that, that was conducted. So uh, we tricked the brain into thinking that the audio is above the head, around the head, behind the head. Uh, much like Real D tricks the brain into pushing visuals off the screen into the audience, mm. we trick the brain into thinking the audio is coming off the screen and getting pushed into the audience. But we even go farther than that. We can put the sound source beyond the speaker field. We can put the sound source up close to the head. We can put the sound source that we're processing anywhere, and we can do multiple sound sources simultaneously because mm -hmm. it's all part of the mix, and it's embedded in the mix, so it doesn't, you know, so a lot of people go, well, how big is the audio file going to be? It has nothing to do with the size of the audio file. The audio file size remains the same. It's just part of the mix, and it'll work uh, with MP3s. It'll work with WAV files. It doesn't matter what the file format is. The technology just works with any two-channel audio with playback out of any two speakers or any set of headphones. Hmm. Now, I wonder if this has anything, is anything similar to uh, what the 3D Audio Alliance is proposing. You've, you've heard of them, I, I assume? Uh, the 3D Audio Alliance, I have, yes, actually. Yes. Uh, I had uh, Alan Kramer on as a guest on my podcast uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months. And um, he's they talking. They want to standardize. Yeah, they want to standardize a, a, a file format system, which, which I'm wondering if you haven't if your system has any similarity to, in which each sound-emitting object is encoded not in terms of how many speakers it, it's going to come out of, which speakers it's going to come out of, but rather um, 
where it is in space, its, its vector and its motion in space, so that the rendering system, the playback system, can then take that information, assuming that it has the proper decoding algorithms, and render it using the resources it has available, whether it's two-channel or 5.1 or whatever. Um, now, are you doing anything like that, or are you mixing more in a traditional manner? We mix more in a traditional manner uh, in, in the concept of mixing, per se, uh, but for applying the technology, there's nothing traditional about that. Uh, most mixers don't think of audio in a sphere when they're mixing uh, with two-channel audio. They think of audio on a line in between the left and right speaker, and they place sound sources on, along that line. Uh, in surround sound, we place sound sources along a line drawn in front of you and a line drawn from front to back of you. Right. In a sound sound, we place sound sources in a sphere uh, with sound sources within the sphere, outside of the sphere, on the sphere, traversing around the sphere. So it's, it's, it is a bit of a different way. So I guess to that extent, no, it's not a traditional way of mixing. Let me, let me right. reverse what I just said. It's a new <laughs> way of mixing that can incorporate traditional mixing techniques so that it'll integrate into current workflow with no issues whatsoever. And that, that also took a long time to make that happen. Uh, workflow integration is critical for any professional audio mix engineer that wants to use the technology. Sure. And I've seen the, I've seen the uh, computer screen. Unfortunately, I did, didn't prepare a, an image of that for the video, but uh, where the mixer is actually looking at where they're placing sounds in that actual spherical spa uh, space, which is really pretty interesting. In, in the plugin, you mean the software? Yeah, yeah, the software plugin. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's uh, it's quite a cool little plugin that started off as a standalone application from uh, Stefan Bernsey, who was the first uh, hire of Gen Audio from way back in the day, a phenomenal audio DSP engineer, and he uh, came in and helped to uh, take the pure R and D that I was doing, where you know I was using things like MATLAB and other acoustic modeling software to uh, create an astound sound experience or spatialize uh, a mono input sound source. Uh, you know, Stefan came in and uh, as a DSP software engineer and helped me to put that into a more usable form as a standalone. In fact, in 2007, we launched a beta uh, release party, uh, or we had a beta release party and we launched uh, uh, the beta software at the AES in New York City. And uh, a lot of top professional audio engineers uh, came in and helped us significantly to determine uh, a better feature set, how the software should behave. And that is what led us into creating the plugins. And two of my other software engineers that work for the company, uh, Bob Coover and Ian Eston, have done a tremendous job at making those plugins work. So mm -hmm. my hat's off to the entire software development team, actually. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have Walter Horat, who is on the uh, uh, consumer electronics side. Walt's kind of a, a master of all trades. He's the do-it-all software engineer for Gen Audio. And then uh, Gary Smith is our senior vice president of software engineering, and he uh, manages over all the software developers. Sounds like you got a pretty serious dream team going on there. Yeah, it takes a long time to build the right team, but once you have it in place, uh, you know you can take your vision and watch it, uh, you know, turn into reality. Yeah. Are you finding uh, mix engineers uh, taking to this new paradigm reasonably easily, or, or is it 
is it kind of jarring to them and it takes them some time to get used to it? It takes them some time to get used to it uh, initially. Uh, people like uh, Greg Morgenstein, my senior vice president of audio engineering, he is incredible. He's also my chief engineer at Astound Studios. I mean, I when I go to my studio, I don't, uh, I don't even go near the console. I just... Like Greg and uh, the engineering assistant that works at my studio deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have, you know, Andy Hay who works with us, Matt Marin. Uh, you know, we worked with a lot of professional audio engineers, uh, you know, over time. Gus Guinness, uh, you know, to name just a few. But, uh, you know, Greg in, in particular is sort of the, the brain behind, uh, you know, making everything run and tick at the studio, workflow integration. He's done a fantastic job at making these plugins work so we can, you know, allow and enable other professional audio engineers to use the software that we've built. And it's taken a long time to do that. This is not a tenderfoot trail by any means. I tell people mm. if it was that easy, Sony or Dolby would have done it by now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's true. Uh, Schmidt Tech in the, uh, in the chat room asks an interesting question. Uh, it, you were comparing this to Real D before, and some people get uh, a little nauseous or dizzy watching uh, simulated 3D or what we really should call stereoscopic uh, vis uh, stereoscopic images. Uh, might the same thing happen here? Uh, run that by me again. I had a little glitch on my end on the oh, audio. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, uh, a question in the chat room was, if if you're comparing this with Real D, with, stere auto, with stereoscopic imagery, uh, as in 3D movies and so on, some people can can feel a little ill when watching that. Might the same thing happen with this? Uh, it, it can happen, I suppose, you know, because it, it is the way we perceive things in space. I think that uh, the illness comes from the intensity of, of, of the depth. I mean, we're not used to having, you know, in, in a real D uh, type application, where we become such a visual world. I can see how things flying all around as visual will kind of make us a little dizzy. Mm -hmm. With audio, what typically makes us dizzy is phase, and our technology stays in phase. We're the, mm -hmm. one of the only spatial audio technologies out there that stays in phase, and as a direct result of that, uh, one of the only audio technologies that will pass all QC testing at the big film studios, as we have in the past with, uh, with one of them already. So, you know, nausea or, or dizziness, that's a hard thing to say. I think that depends on the listener. You know, if someone has a medical balancing issue or perhaps maybe, uh, you know, some kind of an ear problem, th then perhaps maybe this technology might not uh, be comfortable for them to listen to. But I'd say 99.99% of the rest of the world is going to love it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, SoCal Ray Jr. in the chat room asks, is this strictly a two-channel format? You, you addressed this briefly before, but I'd love for you to get a little deeper into it. Certainly, of course. No, it's not. Uh, Two-channel is was, was sort of the, the primary goal because we know that there's not a lot of people out there that have surround sound systems or home theater setups uh, as they probably don't have the footprint for it in their household, or at least the vast majority of those that do have surround sound setups. Only a small percentage of them probably have them set up correctly. So those that are <laughs> You're right about that. Yeah. So those that are getting a surround sound uh presentation really are it's a, it's a very it's few and far between let's just put it to you that way in their home theater so what we wanted to do was kind of create the uh the you know keep it simple model where uh, a user all they gotta do is turn their tv on and 
to get a surround sound uh, presentation with just two-channel audio. They don't have to hook up any home receivers. They don't have to do anything. They just plug in their cable box or they put their DVD player in, and when they're listening, they're going to get a, an incredible spatial audio, 3D spatial audio experience. And that, that to me, is, uh, is, is where we went above the rest. Now, integrating into a surround sound field, which, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of a sound sound processing, that's that's when we have the benefit of having speakers placed physically around you, plus all the height advantage, and the depth advantage, and the up closeness advantage, and all the different things we can do with a sound sound integrated into a surround sound field. It really makes uh, the difference in a surround sound field. We call it implementation a sound surround, mm-hmm. whereas the stereo implementation uh, is just called a sound sound. Of course, I see. Okay. Um, and what about, um, oh, okay, here's, here's a question that's actually in the chat room as well. Uh, uh, Web 3409 says, uh, a sound sound expander, you need to disable all the other audio processing software in, compu- in your computer. Expand- expander is designed to be a back-end audio process, which brings up the question of a sound sound expander, which, if I'm not mistaken, takes a conventional two-channel or maybe even a 5.1-channel soundtrack and applies this process to it after the fact. Have I got that right? That's exactly right. For, for that content that we don't process in the studio professionally using our professional audio sound sound tools, then we have something that will create an analogous 3D spatial audio experience that, that, that's, that's very comfortable to listen to. Um, Essentially, we have a couple different implementations. We have two-channel in and two-channel out, which means you know any CD that you put in your computer or anything that you play back from your iTunes library or anything that you play back from QuickTime or Windows Media Player on your PC, you know whatever uh, you're playing back, a, a DVD in, in, in your player, it'll capture all audio in real time, process it, and it takes the audio from being in front of you sitting on the laptop and it opens the audio up around the head in a very natural, comfortable way so that you feel like you're immersed in the audio as opposed to just listening to it flat on your laptop speakers or on your speakers on your desktop or on your speakers on your, you know, whatever your playback is on your headphones. So we've gotten enormous attention in the consumer electronics space for this technology. This, uh, is, the fact, expan- this is the expander technology, right? The expander technology, yes. You can download right, right now at www.astoundsound.net a free 30-day trial of our our computer product offering for Mac and PC. But you have to understand that's a consumer uh, product offering, not a pro product offering. But the fact of the matter is the same backend that's used for the professional audio technology is also used for the consumer. So we're actually bringing to the consumer professional audio technology with just the push of a button. And that, ah. uh, that's amazing. Well, this is, this is great. Nicholas in the chat room says, would you use the expander plugin as a mastering tool? Uh, you could use it as a mastering tool. However, I'd recommend using the, the Pro Audio plugin as a mastering tool. One of the interesting things about the technology is that perception-wise, it makes the audio sound louder when processed in a sound sound. I can't explain it to you, but I've had people come in and when we A-B back and forth between an original master and a sound sound master, uh, people will say, well, it just, it's, it's louder, it's bigger, but it, it, 
it's definitely louder, right? And then we show them the levels on the on the digital meter, and the levels are the same. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a really interesting thing, especially with what they're doing with TVs. Uh, and they're trying to. I think there's some laws they're trying to put around the volume issues that they have when commercials come on and everyone jumps out of their couch. Yep. yep well, yep. Congress just know, passed the Calm Act for that very thing. Right, right, exactly. So the good thing is, you know, you can actually get a louder audio experience if you process your commercials or, or whatever uh, for <laughs> broadcast in a sound sound, uh, perceivably by anywhere from 2 to 4 dB. That's, that's perceptually, not, not um, objectively, right? Not objectively, that's right. Uh, from a, a strict test and measurement perspective, the levels would be the same as if you had an original master or an astound master. But when you listen to the astound master, it's definitely going to sound louder because the perception is that the audio is louder because we're emulating multiple speakers around the head. Mm -hmm. Now, I assume that if you, if you use your pro audio plug-in at the front end as you're encoding the audio, the effect is going to be more pronounced than if you apply it at the back end just uh, on the playback with the expander uh, module. Am I correct about that? Yes, that's correct, because we have more freedom and flexibility to uh, tweak certain parameters. Uh, you know, in, in every audio source that we pass through, whether it's two-channel or mono or whatever, uh, is going to be different. So we have to go in and, you know, we have to EQ certain things a little bit differently maybe. Uh, you know, there's notch filters that we have in there. So there's there's a, a bunch of little bells and whistles on the pro audio side where you can tweak and adjust, uh, you know, hit perfection as best as possible. Right. And that's where, you know, the consumer software, yeah, you could probably do that, you know, if you wanted to re-record. But the fact of the matter is uh, you're talking about a preset that cannot be changed. And what we did with those presets is we made them very general with very broad stroke uh, uh, EQ. So it's not like we... Uh, this is in the expander would, module. The expander, yes, that's the computer product offering, which is also the same backend that we use to embed into consumer electronics devices. Right, and, right. Uh, that's and th those are coming soon, by the way. Uh, Excellent. Good. Now, the the other thing I want to talk to you about, you were just asking about, was uh, you know different ways. So let, let me wrap this up by saying the other way is to take six channel audio and fold that down to two channel audio, and this is where we've had tremendous success. We just did a big project with uh, Monster, in fact, Monster uh, Cables is a division called Monster Music, and Noel Lee and I got together and uh, discussed this, and then David Rideau came over to the studio and worked with Greg Morgenstein, and we remastered the Tron uh, soundtrack, the new Tron Legacy soundtrack, uh, and that, I believe, is going to be shipping with the new Tron headphones from Monster, uh, I believe you're gonna. There's like, there's like a promo disc with a new Tron Legacy Tron soundtrack that was uh, remastered as a co-brand. We call it uh, Monster. I believe it's HDHS High Definition Headphone Surround, powered mm -hmm. by a Stound Sound. So, oh wow, uh, it, it's phenomenal because we literally recreate the surround sound experience that you hear in a theater with just any set of headphones. And, and, and uh, even more than that, you get the you you do you also create some height information, I'm sure as well. Oh yes, we create height information, uh, depth information, forward, back, to the sides. It, it was amazing when I heard the Tron soundtrack uh, in my studio with David and, and, and Greg, and I just uh, I took the headphones off and I was like in 
our technology is doing this. That's that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> so uh, I can't I, wait I'll, to hear that. I cannot wait to hear that. I, I think it'll sound great. It does. It sounds amazing. In fact, we, we've also processed uh, a few other songs, but I'm not sure if I'm at liberty to mention them due to the, the NDA that we're under with uh, some of these companies. So I can say that the Tron soundtrack I can mention because there's already been a press release about it on Monster's website. Okay, very good. Uh, Echo in the chat room asks, does a, sound, uh, does a sound sound require the speakers to be on a plane? For example, with high-end speaker systems, especially floor-standing towers, the verticality of the individual drivers, you know, they're, they're in a big, big vertical line. Will that make any effect on the, the effect, as it were? The verticality of the individual Explain to me what you, what you mean by well, this now. You, you, you have a, you say you have a, a floor-standing tower speakers, right. and the drivers are, are all in a vertical line. Oh, oh! You mean you mean the the physical speakers themselves? The physical yeah. speakers themselves. Will that right. will that make a difference to the effect? Uh, no, absolutely not. In fact, at my uh, home theater, I have at my house out in Venice Beach, um, I've got uh, you know the speakers I have. I think one, two, three, four, five speakers lined up in a row, and uh, quite frankly, I think it enhances the effect more than more than uh, anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Oh, Reverb Mike says Pro Tools is is his baby, so he's probably going to go for the Pro uh, package there. I can imagine. Uh, awesome. <clears throat> let's Just see. Him, let, let him know that he can uh, come and visit us at our studio anytime as well. Excellent. Uh, in fact, let's go right. Th that's the place I wanted to go next. Was yours your studio in Los Angeles? It's yes. called Astound Studio, and we have a photo of it actually, uh, right. which we'll put up here on the video. There it is. Um, uh, yes. I think I wasn't, I haven't visited you there yet. I need to. I visited you at, at another studio in Hollywood a couple of years ago before you had this thing built, I think. Uh, or during the process when I was just starting to build this studio. That's right. It was uh, Chalice Studios that you came that's to. That's right. Yeah, exactly right. So tell yeah, us uh, tell us about the your newest Down Sound studio uh, in LA uh, and how how you put it together. What What have you uh, What have you done in there? All that sort of stuff. Boy, we, we've done a lot of projects in there. Uh, you know, that that project came about with one thing in mind uh, to build that studio, and that's to uh, build a studio that was superior in in critical listening capability. But more importantly than that, what I wanted to do is have a very high-end studio facility uh, that would attract people to want to come and mix there in the first place because most people that walk into my studio, their jaws at the ground are like, oh, my God, look at all this equipment. You know, we've got you know, all the way from a Fairchild 670 to, uh, you know, tube D to A's. And, I mean, you can see the, the gear racks in the front. There's a uh, gear rack in the back of the studio as well that you can see. And then we have a machine room with a lot, of, a lot more gear. <laughs> so, I assume you're recording to Pro Tools, basically. Uh, well, well, yeah, we use Pro Tools, of course, but we can also stem things out to the console. Uh, but we can mix in the box or in the console. It depends on, on what the engineer wants to do. Mm -hmm. uh, but this studio was, was sort of my, uh, my, my baby when, when I took it over and, and I decided to build it out. It just uh, it became something, uh, something that you just pour your heart and soul into, to be frank, your entire bank account. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that that's was, true. Oh yeah, no doubt. It it definitely uh, is is not uh, something 
I'll put it this way. It's not cheap to build something that looks like that, uh, let alone the gear alone, just the room. And then Russ Berger, uh, who's the one who I hired on to design it, has been fantastic. He really did build a good room. When, when they were building it, Greg and I were looking at each other, and we were concerned about a few things. And then Bob Hodes came over and, uh, you know, tuned the uh, monitors. You can see in the picture there in the background the Galileo on the uh, uh, right-hand side in the top rack there. That's the Rumi Q, and we you know, have multiple settings with X curve, without X curve, screen down, screen up, you know, the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, the room is flanked by those uh, uh, PMC IBQSs. And I'll tell you, we've, we, I listen to a lot of monitors with Greg, and those studio monitors are just amazing. And in, in that particular room, it's uh, after you listen in there, it's hard to listen anywhere else. That's all I have to say. <laughs> now, what are those monitors again? I, I didn't quite catch that. Those are the PMC IB2Ss, I believe, or IB2S. Mm, okay, IB2S, yes, I believe. What's the what uh, What's the screen and screen and projector you're using in there? Uh, the screen is a Stewart screen, and the projector is one of the uh, uh, HD uh, Epson uh, theater projectors. So it mm. it works quite well. Um, you know, the, the reason why we got the steward screen is because it's a perforated screen and our center channel sits behind it. So ah. you kind of have to do that in a studio environment. Yep. But we have remember a, what, a, a, what was that? I'm sorry, sorry. Sorry, I was going to ask you if you remembered what the material, the Stuart material was. I don't, but I'll tell you who would know is that's Greg Morgenstein, my chief engineer, because he's the one that ordered it. All I, okay. all I did was pay for the thing. <laughs> all right, all right. Very good. Fine. All right. Yes, I, I, I don't recall, but anytime uh, anyone wants to come visit the studio, just uh, look us up uh, online at astoundstudios.net, and uh, you can check out our gear list, and there's a little contact form, and we'd be happy to set up an appointment for you to come down and check us out. Fantastic. Wonderful. Tell us about some of the projects you've done in there. I know uh, one in particular you were particularly proud of was uh, a 5.1 mix for uh, a... Um, uh, we are the world 25 for Haiti, a, a benefit for, for Haitian relief. Yes, that's right. That was with uh, uh, John Ruby with AEG. Um, I got introduced to John Ruby through a, a good friend of mine out here in Colorado uh, named Chris Fisher. Uh, Chris works for National Cinemedia. He brought John Ruby to my studio and gave him a demo, and he loved the technology. And he asked me if I wanted to do uh, the We Are the World 25 for Haiti theatrical mix because – we Are the World, uh, 25 Rady, was uh, a 3D uh, short film. And I thought to myself, well, I was like, wow, this is, this is fantastic. A 3D short film and astound? How could I say no? So we <laughs> went on ahead and, and did the processing. And as it turned out, not, not too long after we finished it up, because we were on a pretty uh, pressed timeline at the 3D Film Festival event in Hollywood, uh, we won an award with AEG Live. I can't remember exactly what the award was, but... Uh, if you type in Gen Audio AEG in a search engine, you can you can easily find the press release, and it explains the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, uh, what happened from there is, uh, since I, th I think we had a tremendous success with the We Are the World 25 for Haiti, uh, John Ruby and I met then at a uh, event in New York City, a Panasonic 3D event, uh, for dinner one of the evenings, and we started talking about his live concert events and. We're currently working on an implementation of the technology that will enable live concerts to be webcasted to the world in a sound sound in real time. Mm. So that 
that's going to be fantastic. We're not sure exactly what the first concert will be just yet. Uh, I can guarantee you, once uh, once we know, we'll definitely uh, have some press <laughs> about it out there. So that's going to sure. be a, that, that's a game changer in my mind to be able to broadcast live events to the world in a sound sound and create an immersive 3D audio experience. That's uh, that's something else. And the other thing that we could do with that as well is, of course, uh, you know, as well as the concert being broadcast via webcast uh, to the world, we can also create that astound sound experience in the venue as well. So I think that uh, that's going to be a game changer for live events. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when I think of a AEG, uh, the first thing I think of is the Michael Jackson tour, which uh, almost broke them. Uh, but right. then they came back. They came back with uh, with this is it the movie of the of the rehearsal footage that which which then thought I thought just now as we're talking, gee, wouldn't that be interesting to to remaster the um, the this is it soundtrack in a sound surround? Uh, that would be amazing. All I can say is that the industry is very political, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, 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 and to make that happen. Boy, that would take uh, that would take a lot of work. I mean, it's something that I'll definitely keep on the radar screen uh, to try and do. And who knows? Maybe John Ruby will will is watching this, or he'll watch this down the road and go, "Hey, that's a great idea. Let's do it." If he comes to me and says, "Let's do it," believe you me, I'll do it. <laughs> now, you also uh, have uh, a fe a feature length film in Astound Sound or Astound Surround. I forget which one. Tell us about that uh -huh. one. Our first, our first uh, full-length feature film title release. Another good friend of mine, uh, Damien Lichtenstein, who's, uh, I guess, probably m most known for uh, directing 3,000 Miles to Graceland, which is a great movie with Kevin Costner. Uh, and Damien and I have become friends over the past uh, four years. We met uh, right before Sundance Film Festival about uh, four years ago, and we just became friends ever since then. He had a, he had a demo of the technology. He loved it, but he went off uh, for the past three years, you know, making this new film called Discover the Gift, which is amazing. It's a spiritual, transformational uh, genre style film, kind of in, kind of like The Seeker, but in my opinion, way better. Mm. And, uh, you know, all I can say is I was a little hesitant at first when he called me over the phone and said, hey, Jerry, I want you to apply that astound sound technology to my film. Are you in? And I said, of course I'm in. So, uh, you know, I thought about this, the genre of the film because it's technically a, a documentary film, but the interstitials, which are basically like the cutscenes in between the interviews, were so uh, uh, so 3D in nature mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, and the graphics and, and the effects that he had, things like this that he had in the film, I just looked at this and said, this is perfect for a sound sound, whether it's a documentary or not. I mean, the, the, the way Damien did this film was, was absolutely remarkable. And my hat's off to him. And I'm, I'm, uh, it's, it's both an honor and a pleasure to have worked with him on that project. And I'll continue to support the film. And I, I'm not sure what the release date is for the DVD or uh, when and if it's going theatrical. I, I, I don't know any of those details. But as I find out more information, I'll definitely let you know. Yeah, please do, because I would like to see the movie. Uh for my own interest as well as to hear the surround sound, the astound sound. Um, and I was curious as to whether or not it was going to get a theatrical release or direct to DVD, or if it's going to be on Blu-ray, uh, you probably yes. don't know any of that stuff, but uh, uh, it's, it's going to be on Blu-ray. I know that. Absolutely. Ah, excellent. Yes. It'll be uh, there'll be an HD version on Blu-ray. It'll be standard F DVD. And I think he's also uh, looking to do 
uh, some kind of video on demand uh, marketing with it or promotion. Or, so he's, he's got, uh, you know, a lot of different things in the works. You know, Damien knows what he's doing. He's been in the film industry his entire life. Uh, and like I said, he's a good friend. He's a great guy. I think that uh, I think that this project is going to help us to tackle down the walls of the rest of the film industry because when people hear a full-length feature film mixed in a sound studios in a sound surround, uh, they're going to be blown away. They're going to go, "Well, this is the audio technology I want for my 3D film as well." Mm, mm. Of course, there is some uh, resistance to changing anything in commercial cinemas in particular because it's so expensive yes exactly in, in fact the industry has been moving toward adding more speakers to create a better uh spatial audio experience for the listener especially for theatrical releases given the explosion of uh 3d film title releases and other 3d content uh you know we focused on a solution that would make sense for both the consumer and the theater chains you know, the vision I had back in 2004 was to create a software-based approach to enable any theater to have significantly enhanced spatial audio presentation, and it had to be an ENCODE-only software process that would work with all existing delivery formats. So this was, uh, that's a tall order when you think about it, but the, the thing that I, uh, that I see with theaters is that theater chains are, they're very cheap. They don't want to spend a dime on anything. And uh, I, I've learned that just from talking to some, some people that I know that work for uh, one of the largest theater chains. And, uh, you know, I think about the concept of, you know, the upgrades that they have to do to upgrade to, say, uh, a 7.1 cinema processor. I think it's the 650 to 750 upgrade. Well, there's not too many auditoriums out there that actually have that, uh, that upgrade right now. And uh, you Not, know, to, be not frank, to mention uh, film projectors to digital or from... From 2D to 3D, might need a new yes. screen. There's there's a lot of expense in, in doing any kind of upgrade. Exactly, exactly. Where and this is where a sound sound comes in because when you mix in a sound sound a 5.1 mix, uh, you know it creates a 7.1 experience with height, elevation, everything else. So the theater, the theater owners don't actually have to change their theaters now. If you integrate into a 7.1 mix, if you take a sound and put it into a 7.1 mix, I mean, you're talking cream of the crop. It, it can't get any better than that, in my opinion, unless you add, you know, 10 speakers around you, physical speakers to add to the astound effect. But, you know, realistically, you're kind of going overboard by having that many speakers anyways in a room. When you have a spatial audio technology like this, where the fold down coming from the theatrical 5.1 astound surround mix will maintain the integrity of the localization cues and recreate the surround sound experience. That's the whole spectrum right there. So mm. let, let me try and go back over that one more time. If we integrate the technology into a 5.1 mix and we fold it down to an LTRT, right? So the technology which is, is integrated. A, in, which is basically a two-channel. Dolby Encode, two-channel. Dolby Encode, yeah. LTRT that, is, uh, I yes. forget what that stands for, but, but Left yeah. Left total, right total. Ah, it's right, left okay. Total, right total. So, uh, yeah, that'll decode under ProLogic 1 to LCRS. Rest is mono surround, but that's that's besides the point. The point I'm making is if we mix in the studio uh, a film with a sound sound 
integrated into the surround sound 5.1 mix. When you fold that down to the LTR team, someone's only listening at a two-channel audio. They're going to get a surround sound experience automatically because the technology maintains the integrity of the localization queue process and survives the fold-down encode, which we're the only technology on the face of the planet that I know about that does that as of current. So, And the reason why we do that is because we're not a heavily phase-dependent technology. Uh, all these other technologies out there are phase-dependent because they're, once again, binaural dummy head-based, not brain research-based. There's a big difference between those two. Right, right. This brings up a question that uh, Floop in the chat room asks, which is, if you've mastered something in a stound sound, as you have been describing, and then you have a consumer device with a stound sound processing in it, uh, do you have a, a squared situation, uh, you know, going on there? Would it would it be sound obviously wrong, or is it a non-issue? You're referring to the concept of double processing, and, and we've always precisely. Yes, yes, we, we we always had a bit of an issue with that until recently. Uh, kind of sitting in my studio with my mix engineer and one of my developers, and I think Matt Marin was there as well. We we're all kind of slamming our heads together to figure this out. We actually came up with some new equations, and uh, we. My developer on the spot pounded in the new equations, and we tested it. And I ran, uh, pro, you know, things that were processing this down at the studio through the embedded level integration process. And when we turned it on, it had a negligible effect. In other words, yes, you can have something that's processed professionally now run it through uh, an, an embedded level integration of consumer electronics or the Astound Sound Expander. And when you turn it on, it will. Uh, it will it will not it'll still sound like a sound sound the phases won't cancel out and squash to mono you won't have uh you know any kind of roll off you know or anything like that it it's it's a really clean technology now and that has to do with the way uh these new equations work on the real-time processor end and uh currently right now I, I don't think our expander product offering has the new uh equations built in but that's okay because uh, if someone goes and downloads uh, the expander, then someone goes out and buys, say, Discover the Gift. By that time, we'll have the new backend in there. But even if someone was listening to an Astound Sound demo, all they have to do is go and turn the expander off to avoid any double processing issues. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, this brings up the question of, uh, I, I'm sure you must be in talks with consumer electronics companies to embed the expander portion of it into their products, particularly TVs, I would think would be really important, uh, but also uh, uh, AV receivers and Blu-ray players and so on. Um, yes. I, and you probably can't reveal any any substance from those conversations, but just assure me that, that this is something that's coming, coming down the pike. Uh, oh, it certainly is coming down the pike. In fact, I'm in the middle of... Uh some pretty big negotiations with large companies to embed the technology right now into various uh, consumer electronic product offerings. Mm -hmm. um, I, I unfortunately can't say anything about that because of the NDAs that we have with these companies. Uh, you know, we license the technology to them, they integrate, embed, and then they determine how they want to market it. So the last thing I want to do is, is violate any uh, NDAs I have signed with any of those companies, of course. Sure, of course, but then again, but yes, uh, it is it is coming down, uh, it is coming down the road. In fact, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the product rollout schedule is for for one of the devices that we're working on, but I think it could be within the next couple of months that you'll see the first 
uh, a sound, sound integrated product offering on the market. And the second uh, we get the okay to, uh, you know, announce that. Believe you me, Scott, you'll be the first to know. I'll, I'll, I'll call <laughs> you up immediately and let you know so we can let the world know. Excellent. Thank you. I will definitely let the world know because I have to say at this point that I have heard this algorithm both in terms of something that's been processed with it at the professional level and also the expander portion or the embedded integrated portion as we've sometimes called it here today. Yes. Uh, and it really is remarkable. I mean, what I heard both on headphones and on a pair of studio monitors, really small studio monitors sitting in the in the recording studio uh, was, was actually quite remarkable. And I'm very impressed. So I'm really hoping that uh, more people can experience this uh, sooner than later. <laughs> Well, wait, wait till you come to uh, come to the studio. Uh, yeah, I don't think you've been to my new studio yet, so you have to come. No, out I haven't. Next, I really uh, want to get there. Yeah, here in the next few weeks, when I get back to Los Angeles, I'm here at my uh, house in Colorado now. But when you come out to uh, LA, when I, when I'm back out there, then I could probably uh, uh, show you discover the gift as you want to see right there in oh, the studio or next to that. Mm -hmm. Which you're going to want to see because it's fantastic. The 5-1 mix just, just blows people away when you integrate a sound into it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and also, you know, when you talk about the world hearing and seeing this, one of our newest board members, uh, Jay Rifkin, uh, a lot of you might even know that name. He's uh, quite the audio uh, mogul, in my opinion. <laughs> he's I mean, he, started, he started Media Ventures with Hans Zimmer, for heaven's sakes. Yes, yes, that's exactly correct. And he owned Mojo Records, and you know he did uh, music for The Lion King and a lot of other movies. He was a music mixer on a lot of movies. He is the pro audio guru uh, of gurus when it comes down to film music. So uh, I just talked to him earlier on the phone today, and uh, he said that I could mention that the first 3D theatrical film title release uh, in a sound surround is going to be mixed at my studio, Sound Studios. Uh, will be at the end of the fourth quarter of, of this year, 2011. And wow. on and on the, on the uh, slate of films that he's going to bring to the studio, uh, he said that there's going to be seven 3D film title releases scheduled to release in the next two years uh, that will be mixed at Astound Studios and Astound Surround. So that's uh, that's pretty good. I'm, I'm real happy with that. I'm, I'm excited that he's joined our board of directors and uh, you know, he's really going to add to uh, the leadership of this company to help us bring down the walls of Fort Knox at the big film studios, hopefully. Yeah. Oh, man. That just sounds great. Can you can you tell us anything about this first one that's going to be out in the fourth quarter, or is that still under wraps? That's still under wraps. I asked him, and he asked me not to mention it because uh, of certain NDAs he might have in place. So uh, I'm sure that here in the very near future, uh, you know, people know about it. I know that there's going to be a, a little two-minute segment that we're going to mix at my studio that's going to show at uh, in Cannes, France. So I would imagine there's probably going to be a press release about that, and that's what, you know, six weeks away or so? Yeah, something like so, that. Yeah. Uh, Floop in the, chat, in the chat room asks, are the demos on your website truly representative of the full astound sound processing? Can they be used to understand what astound sound is all about, or are there caveats? Uh, no, the demos are truly representative of the astound sound process. In particular, I'm not sure which website you're listening to the demos on, but I will go to our new website, www.astoundsurround.com. 
There's a soundsound.net, and there's a series of older demos on that website. And then there's a soundsurround.com, and there's newer demos on that website. In fact, the We Are the World 25 for Hades on that website. And, uh, you know, much like, you know, uh, all the disasters that are happening in the world, you know, with Japan and everywhere else, Haiti still desperately needs our help. And there's a uh, organization uh, set up to do donations to Haiti. And uh, it's the We Are the World Foundation for Haiti. So, uh, you know, you should, everyone out there that gets a chance to listen to this, you should consider making a donation. I agree. Especially after, I... Especially after you listen to it on our website. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Absolutely. Well, we have only a few minutes left, and I know that another really important application that uh, that you have addressed with Astound Sound is gaming. Uh, give us a couple minutes on on how it's being applied to gaming. You know, g gaming is by far, at least in my opinion, the most intensive way to experience Astound Sound. Uh, you know, much like we can go in the studio and we can process audio and we can determine where the locations of sound sources are using our software, we refer to that as a human-machine interface. In this particular case, on the gaming side, we've developed a machine-machine interface where in real time, in fact, we just had a big announcement at this past game developer conference in San Francisco uh, of our SDK uh, being ready to go. And, you know, companies from uh, a lot of large companies came in to our demo suite to listen and they were blown away. I mean, blown away by the technology. Some of them want to immediately move forward with integrating our technology into their uh, back-end audio engine process. So we're, of course, pursuing those quite rapidly. <laughs> sure, uh, sure. And, 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 you know, one of the engine companies, of course, is one of the big engine companies. I don't want to mention any names just because of, of reasons, but... Uh, I think the gaming side implementation is probably one of the largest uh, things in what, you know, especially for, you know, portable gaming, you know, audio for gaming, in my opinion, out of every entertainment industry vertical is the worst. That's mm. the place that, that needs the most improvement. It's just really bad in my <laughs> opinion. So I think uh, with a sound sound being integrated, it's going to make a remarkable improvement to the game audio, but not only improve the game audio, it's going to create uh, a new gaming experience where if you're in a dark room and you can't see whether where monsters or creatures are around you that want to attack you, now you can hear where they're at. Mm -hmm. you, mentioned to me on, you mentioned to me on the phone uh, last night about um, the human-to-machine interface versus the machine-to-machine -machine interface, and what that meant really was whether or not as you move around the field, you have the proper audio perspective as well as the proper visual perspective. Yes, that's exactly correct. Uh, well, well, the thing is, is that in a machine-machine interface, you can look at all the objects that are around you trying to attack you or sound sources that are just walking by you in your game, especially in like a first-person shooter environment. Uh, you can look at all those as being objects, and the, all those objects have got sound sources attached to them. So all those objects create their own sort of frame of reference. Then you have the frame of reference of the player who's moving you know, his little game controller to control, you know, running forward, backward, looking up, looking down, and panning around. So, essentially, it's just the physics of two different frames of reference and looking at it from a position vector perspective. So, you have XYZ coordinate of object over here that's moving this way and the XYZ coordinates of the player that's moving this way. And, and depending on how the 
the user moves in real time with negligible, negligible latency, uh, which means the, the audio latency between the latency between the video and the audio will not mm -hmm. be determinable. Right. So, uh, negligible latency, we can in real time process and localize exactly where those positions are of everything in space. So as you move the user around the game, you're actually getting a real-time 3D astound sound experience. And that's, that's the, in my opinion, the cream of the crop. It gets no better than that, especially yeah. with gaming being the world's largest growing industry of all of them. Yeah, it's huge. It is absolutely huge. Well, let me, let me finish with one last question from Alex from England, which goes back a little bit to the double processing question, uh, who asks, uh, if I activate the 3D setting on my speakers, in other words, a 3D processing algorithm from somebody else, uh, and then uh, pass a sound, process, sound sound process audio through it, uh, is that going to hurt or help? If, if you pass the astound sound audio process through through, through some other 3d sound algorithm oh okay understood no uh it, it shouldn't uh i mean you know if you're using our 3d sound algorithm to be frank you don't need anyone else's so right. <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's, but so there's... but if you were to, if you were to turn it on say you had some other 3d sound algorithm working they could work at cross purposes don't you think it's at least possible it's possible. I mean, you know, we really don't uh, think about what does our technology sound like running through another 3D process. We think about what is, of but, course. you know, if, if someone really wanted to, you know, play around with that, I suppose they could play around. Do I think that it would be problematic? No. Do I think that it could cause a an audio experience that might be undesirable? Yes. When I mean problematic, I mean, is it going to blow up your speakers? Is it gonna... <laughs> no, I, I, I kind of would doubt that. Now, you know, a lot of these other, you know, 3D audio technologies I've noticed that are on the market, though, they, uh, they tend to really boost volume. I mean, actual volume. It's not that it's the, the perception of a volume boost, but they, they're like, you know, 10 to 15 dB hotter when I turn them on. And it's noticeably different what they're doing in terms of loudness, but the 3D experience that I get with these other technologies is, is minimal. So I, I wonder what the market really sees 3D as. I mean, because 3D to me means that the audio should be around your head, above your head, and everywhere in the room. Uh, 3D, 3D doesn't mean let's blow your eardrums out. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, excellent. Um uh, Jerry Mahabab, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a fascinating hour, and I look forward to uh, visiting you at the studio and hearing uh, more Astound Sound from, from a greater variety of titles and devices. Thank you so much. Thank you, Scott. Always a pleasure to see you, buddy. Yeah, you bet. Uh, you care. can, of course, you can, thank you. You can uh, get uh, info on uh, Gen Audio and Astound Sound at genaudioinc.com and astoundsound.net, and the more recent website, astoundsurround.com. My online homes are ultimateavmag.com and hometheater.com. You can email me at scott at twit.tv, and follow me on Twitter at htgeekscott. Next week, my guest geek is scheduled to be Sandy Gross, renowned speaker designer at Definitive Technology and Polk, now with a new company called Golden Ears with some really, really interesting speakers. So I sure hope you'll join me for that. Until then, geek out. Geek out.